The National Philanthropic Trust, founded in 1966, is a public charity uh, which provides guidance, expertise to donors and foundations, other things, uh, to help them, quote, realize their charitable aspirations. What that all means is they help people to give. Among other things, they monitor charitable giving in the United States. According to the trust, in 2011, which were the latest numbers that are available, charitable giving in the U.S. looks something like this. 88% of people, uh, of households, I should say, gave to charity. It's pretty good. Don't know if that number includes dropping off a bag of clothes to Goodwill, but 88%, not bad. The average annual household giving was about $2,200. That's, that's not bad. That, that's over, if you do the math, that's over 4% of average household income for that year. Total household Charitable giving then for 2011 was $218 billion. That's a lot of change. It's about 2% of our gross domestic product. It's interesting to note, however, that the more money that you make, the less you contribute. Um, oh, wait, I, I, I actually went ahead. Uh, the greatest recipients of charitable giving are religious organizations. A full 32% of that $218 billion, uh, about $70 billion went to religious organizations. And then we see that the more money you make, the less likely you are to contribute to those religious organizations. I want you to understand that. As your income goes up, your giving to religious organizations goes down. You're actually more likely to give to education. So, those are, those are some national numbers. Let's see how we as Christians are doing in that mix. Of that $70 billion given to religious organizations, about two-thirds, about $50 billion was given to churches. That's a lot of money. Of course, that's 322,000 congregations, about $150,000 each. It's estimated that Christians, now I need you to get this, that Christians give about 2.5% of their income to their churches. So if the average American gives 4%, for, for Christians, 2.5% of their 4% goes to their churches. But statistics also show that less than half of church members financially support their churches, less than half. I don't, I don't think that's true of Alliance Bible Fellowship. I may have my head in the sand, but I don't think that's true. Next, very interesting. Households which make under 20000 a year give a greater percentage than middle-income families. If you're at the poverty level, you give more than most of us, percentage-wise. Another interesting statistic. Giving to churches today is at a lesser percentage than it was during the Great Depression. Some other thoughts for you to consider. 
While almost $50 billion is given annually by Americans to their churches, $50 billion, almost $50 billion is spent by Americans on their pets. We spend as much on Fido as we do on faith. Over $60 billion is spent annually on weight loss. We actually spend more on losing weight than we do on faith. Almost $100 billion a year is spent on beer. Just in case you think you're off the hook, $65 billion on soft drinks, $11 billion on coffee. I'd do about a billion of that. $40 billion on lawn care, $50 billion, $40 billion on lawn care, $117 billion on fast food. We spend more than twice as much money each year on Big Macs than we do on faith. Well, in fairness, those are national numbers, not Christian numbers, but they certainly reveal the passions of our country. And we remember the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We arrive this morning at the end of Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians, and he's talking about everyone's favorite topic, charitable giving. Well, specifically religious giving, more specifically um, Christian giving, and he's actually going to thank uh, this church in Philippi for the financial gift that they had sent to him through Epaphroditus. But in doing so, in this little thank you note, he tells us a lot about Christian charitable giving. Read the text with me. It's in chapter 4. We're at the end of the book. But let's start reading in verse 10 so we make sure that we pick up the context. Excuse me, and we'll read through verse 20. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and, and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. That was last week, this week. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of, of, of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you know, but before I left Macedonia, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I speak, uh, that I seek the gift itself, but I, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and, and, and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Last week, we were reminded that, that one of the reasons that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi was to thank them for this financial gift. Again, it was a bit of a thank you note for the support that they had sent. And, and as we saw, for Paul, it, was, it, it wasn't so much the gift itself that caused him to rejoice. It wasn't like he said, yippee skippy, now I get to buy a Big Mac and a Diet Coke. 
No, it was, it was the meaning or the motivation behind the gift. It is what that gift represented. That is, by their renewing their support for Paul, they demonstrated a revived concern. Remember that? Their concern bloomed again. They were showing that they were still partners with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brought him great joy. Now, don't miss that. Giving demonstrated a continued commitment to the gospel. I'm going to say that again so you can write it down. Giving demonstrates a continued commitment to the gospel. Now, just to prove that the, 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 the gift wasn't the real issue, Paul took a, a, a little aside. He said, I, I, I really am thankful for your gift, but not that I speak from one. I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, in wealth or in want, in abundance or in need, in prosperity or in poverty. It doesn't matter because ultimately, ultimately my contentment, that inner peace, that, that calm satisfaction is not based on stuff. It's not based on my external circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that I'm independent. I'm not self-dependent or self-sufficient like those Stoics. No, I want you to understand, understand something. I am altogether Christ-sufficient. My contentment is ultimately found in Christ alone. In fact, I, I can do all things. That is, I can be content whatever the circumstances, in wealth or in want, doesn't matter. I can be content in Christ who gives me strength. Thanks for the gift. But I want you to understand I'm more thankful for what that gift represents, your continued partnership in the gospel. Thanks for the gift. But, but, but I want you to know it's not that I speak from want. Nevertheless, verse 14 You've done well in, in sharing with me, which brings me to the text today. And I want you to know that Paul is talking squarely about giving. He's going to write a thank you note that informs our giving today. And so I'm going to talk about giving as well because Christian giving is critically important. It's indispensable for the following reasons found in this text. First, Christian giving demonstrates spiritual commitment. Giving credits our spiritual accounts. Giving is a spiritual sacrifice. Giving will be reciprocated. That got your attention. And giving will give glory to God. That is an unbelievable list, and it is fully substantiated in this text. Look at it with me, starting with giving demonstrates. Giving proves spiritual commitment, verses 15 and 16. Now, we looked at some of this last week. Paul had just said, it's been good for you uh, to, to share uh, in or participate in, partner with me uh, in, the, in my afflictions and in, in the work of the gospel. You yourselves know, Philippians, that in the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no other church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You're the only one who did. In fact, even after I, uh, even before I left Macedonia, when I was still in Thessalonica, about 95 miles to the southwest, right down the Ignatian 
way. You, you sent gifts more than once for my needs. And they didn't just come by Western Union, all right? It didn't, it didn't come. Uh, they didn't just hop on a, uh, on, in a car and, and, and bring it over. 95 miles, they traveled one way many times to care for me. You were the only church who supported the work of missions that I was doing in Macedonia and beyond. Now, Paul wrote in, in, in chapter 1 that he rejoiced in these Philippians, that they participated with him in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day, they participated in the gospel by believing the gospel. But, but the until now was this continued financial support, giving to him, supporting his missionary endeavors. Now, remember those statistics that I read at the beginning. Remember statistically that the poorer you are, the more you give, specifically to the work of Christ. In fact, the richer you are, the less you, statistically speaking, you give. And the richer you are, statistically speaking, the less you give to the work of Christ. Poorer, not so. This was true all the way back in the time of Paul. The church in Philippi was suffering economically. Yet when Paul was traveling around collecting an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, we, we saw this passage last week that he wrote to the Corinthian church to encourage them with these words. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the, the grace of God. That's interesting, talking about giving as a grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that's Philippi, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty, you put those two things together, abundance of joy and deep poverty, and it overflowed uh, in the wealth of their liberality. Does that work for you? That abundance of joy and deep poverty results in liberal giving? It did for them. I testify that according to their ability, nah, even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They begged with us for uh, this favor of participation and support of the saints. Here they are, a poor church, begging to give, and doing so demonstrating that they were partners with Paul in the gospel, because giving demonstrates deep spiritual commitment. In, in fact, listen to this. Paul made his way 95 miles to uh, Thessalonica, and it was an economically rich area. And while he was preaching the gospel there, the poor church in Philippi sent him money. He later wrote to the Thessalonians, for you recall, brothers, uh, our labor and hardship, how how working day and night, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God to you. Uh, we worked really, really hard, and now we find out that this hard work was supplemented by sacrificial giving from a poor church. He leaves Thessalonica, travels further south to Corinth, and while serving in that very economic, economically prosperous city, he said to them, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you, when I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For 
When the brothers came from Macedonia, Philippi, they fully supplied my need. The church that he robbed in order to serve in Corinth, a rich place, was Philippi. Paul was thankful for their gifts, but he was more thankful for what those gifts represented. They demonstrated great spiritual commitment in this deep sacrificial giving to the work of the gospel. By the way, generosity with our material possessions is actually proof of the reality of our faith. Giving is proof of salvation. No, really. Did you remember that story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? You know, we sang about it from the time we were little kids in Sunday school, talking about the short little guy who climbed up in a sycamore tree, you know, for the Lord he wanted to see. And we all know that when the Lord saw Zacchaeus, he said, you come down for there because I'm going to your house today. And we missed the whole story of Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus, you see, was a tax collector. And tax collectors at this time in Palestine were were, were, were swindlers, they were cheaters, they were traitors, and they were wealthy, extremely so, very rich. So Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house that day, and something happened. We don't know what Jesus said to him, but listen, something always happens in the presence of Jesus. And Zacchaeus suddenly stops the party and says, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give, I'll give back four times the amount I took. And what was Jesus' response to this generosity? We read, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because he was generous? No. Because he bought his salvation? No, but his generosity proved that he had been saved, that he was a different man from a, from a wealthy, cheating, swindling tax collector to a generous, changed man, because that's what the gospel does. Back in Philippians, Paul uses that word giving and, and receiving. Th- those are actually accounting terms. They're terms of business, and he's going to continue to use this idea of commerce. You see, in our second point, found in verse 17, he goes on to speak of spiritual credit. Look at it. He's been talking about their giving. He's been talking about this gift. Didn't want him to be confused. Not that. Stop right there. When when talking about their gift, back in verses 10 and 11, he said he'd rejoice in their gift. Not that he was speaking from want. He qualifies his joy so they don't get the wrong idea. I'm not rejoicing in the gift itself. I'm rejoicing in what the gift represents. Not that I'm speaking from want. Now he says it again. You gave more than once to meet my needs. Not that. I don't want you to think that I'm just kind of trying to get some more money here. Not that I seek the gift itself. This isn't about the gift. Never been about the gift. It's about what the gift represents. This morning I'm talking about giving, but it is not about what you dropped in the offering plate a few minutes ago. It's about what that gift represents, and you can relax, and I'm not going to pass the offering plate again. 
This time, Paul, at this time, Paul says the gift results in, I want you to understand, this gift results in a profit, an increase, literally fruit to your account. You go, what? Like, what account? I just gave. That's a debit to my account. It's a credit to your spiritual account. This is accounting lingo. And Paul is saying, as you as you debit your physical account and give, you are crediting your spiritual account. There is an accrual of interest to your divine account. That's what he's saying. Don't miss that. He is saying the same thing that Jesus said. When you give, you are laying up treasures in heaven. God is keeping track of your sacrificial giving, and you are gaining eternal spiritual credit. That's what it says. Now listen, I need to be very clear here. This has nothing to do with salvation. You are not buying grace here. Rather, you are proving the reality of grace, which abounds to your spiritual credit. This has everything to do with recognizing that... Spiritual reward then is worth infinitely more than physical reward now. Let me say that again. It is understanding that spiritual reward then is worth infinitely more than physical reward now. So, go ahead. Put that money away in a CD and earn some physical interest. I understand it's paying about a half a percent now. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead. Save for your retirement. Paul is saying, actually saying, that the spiritual return on your investment for you business finance people, your spiritual ROI as you give to the work of the kingdom is of greater value. Go ahead and save, but make sure you give. Brings us to our third point, giving is spiritual sacrifice, verse 18. Bless you. Paul actually uses the language of of Old Testament sacrifice here to speak of their financial um, giving. This is incredible what he says. He starts the verse using that language of commerce again. And he also speaks of their gift, again, meeting his needs in abundance. (laughs) What? Doug, he's in prison. And amazingly, he speaks of living extravagantly. I'm living in abundance, being amply supplied by your gift through Epaphroditus. What? That's because his view of abundance and wealth was a whole lot different than ours. And that's because I want to suggest that there's a whole lot here, a lot more here to it than just money. It's not about the gift. I'm amply supplied. Look at the language of commerce that he uses. I have received everything in full. I have received, what he's saying there is I have received full payment. And that means, what he's saying is, you have satisfied a debt. You've paid it off. What? You see, we have to remember from last week, remember, Bible's a, 
book written in history, written within a certain culture. And that culture said that the highest form of friendship was one where giving and receiving were done at the same time. Giving was reciprocated. At this time, the lowest form of friendship was one that was based purely on need, purely on usefulness. I'll be your friend if you meet my needs. Lowest form of friendship was where one person was constantly giving, constantly meeting the needs of the other. Everything flowed that way. There was no reciprocation, low form. So Paul says here, um, I've received everything in full. You've made full payment. He's acknowledging their gift, which actually satisfied a debt in this first century way of thinking about friendship. You see, he had brought the gospel to them, and they had reciprocated in this friendship by sending him gifts in, in, in Thessalonica, in Corinth, and now in Rome. And now he says, hey, listen, I'm fully paid. My turn. I'll reciprocate. And he's going to talk about that in verse 19. Before he does that, he goes on to speak of their gift, again, in that Old Testament language of sacrifice, this acceptable sacrifice to God. Read through the book of Leviticus, which prescribes the way uh, offerings are to be presented to the Lord. Basically, it's like, you know, build an altar, find a lamb, kill a lamb, you know, spread the blood, everything's good. And you read through Leviticus and you will find that burnt offerings and guilt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings, when offered in a right way, are acceptable sacrifices, fragrant aromas, well-pleasing to God. This is Old Testament language. Give this offering fragrant aroma. And Paul actually says here, that our giving arises to the nostrils of God as a fragrant aroma. It is a, an, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So a few minutes ago, or last week, or last month, or now, however you give, when you give, God, as it were, smells it and says, I like that, well-pleasing. Here I am this morning talking about giving, and you say, of course, this is the church, and you're a pastor. Of course you're going to talk about giving. That's what churches do. And it is unfortunately true that many only talk about money. But I want you to understand, it is not about the gift it is about spiritual commitment. It is about spiritual investment. It is about spiritual sacrifice that redounds to worship of a worthy God. As a result, point four, God will reciprocate. And you go, oh boy. Look at verse 19. As you give sacrificially, my God will supply 
all your needs. You've supplied my needs. He'll supply yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we remember true friendship in this culture saw relationship as giving and receiving. Giving that was to be reciprocated. The Philippians, Paul says, you paid me in full, amply supplying for my needs. Now I'm the one in debt. I'm, uh, I, 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 need to pay, I need to pay you. But what position was he in to repay them? To reciprocate was this highest form of, uh, of friendship, and he wanted to keep it at this highest form. He didn't want to become a client of these patrons. No, I don't want to do that. I want to, give, I want to give to you. How could he do that from prison? And, and so Paul says, my God will pick up the tab. God will reciprocate. Just as you have met my needs, so also my God will supply all your needs. This is supposed to, this is the same language, it's a play on words. He'll meet your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, one author suggests, and I agree, you need to listen to this, that while the context demands material needs, because that's what they're talking about, material needs, they provided materially for Paul, the language demands every other kind of need. The context demands material needs, narrows it to that, but the language demands every other kind of need. And so, in the midst of poverty, God will supply all your needs. In the face of opposition and suffering that you are enduring, Philippians, God will give you what you need in, word, in terms of encouragement and joy and steadfastness. steadfastness. In, in their need to be united, God will provide humility by His Holy Spirit. In this place of division and, and, and grumbling, God will provide peace and, and unity. The point is, God will meet their needs, whatever they are, as His children as we seek Him. All your needs, not all your greeds, not all your wants. I want to remind you that Paul is writing from prison. I want to remind you that Paul will eventually be beheaded for his faith. I want to remind you that you can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which lists all his sufferings in Christ, which include hunger and thirst and even homelessness. The point is, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is according to his purposes in Christ for you. So don't read this verse and lift it out of its context like many do and say, if you'll just give 10%, he'll repay a hundredfold. If you'll just give 20%, you can have that black shiny beamer. That's not what he's saying. Paul told Timothy, if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content because my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So again, while people sometimes accuse churches of only talking about money, and again, some do, I would do a disservice to not talk about giving in these ways. So now listen. To neglect giving is to lose out on these benefits. To neglect giving demonstrates a lack 
of spiritual commitment. To neglect giving loses spiritual reward. To neglect giving is to miss out on spiritual sacrifice that is well-pleasing worship to God. And to neglect giving is to miss out on God's reciprocation. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you, now listen, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. I do too. But it's not about the gift. It's about what the gift represents. Which leads finally to praise and thanksgiving, redounding glory to God. Verse 20, final benediction. As Paul thinks about this giving and and receiving to each other most assuredly, but motivated by our relationship with Jesus Christ, he can't help having finished all that he's going to say, he can't help but break out into praise. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because you see, giving encourages this, this triangular relationship. We give to support the work of, of Christ, and, and it meets needs, and God in turn reciprocates and gives to us. And with all of this, he is well pleased. And it redounds to his great glory. I was going to take the time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, I encourage you to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says some of the same principles. We find that Paul's consistent in his teaching. He says some of the same principles that we've talked about this morning. I encourage you to read that. But For now, let's stand. Closing word of prayer. Father, we have talked about giving, but not that. Not not that. We've talked about what giving represents. We've talked about it as an act of grace. We've talked about it as a demonstration of commitment. We've talked about it as spiritual investment. We've talked about it as as profit, that which will inure to our spiritual benefit. We've talked about the fact that you will, that we can't outgive you, that you will reciprocate and you will meet our needs, our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And all of this, all of this, I believe, redounds to your glory. It's not about the gift. It's about the God whom we serve. May this all be for your great glory. In Christ's name, amen.